today is taken from John's Gospel, chapter 4. But just a bit of advanced warning, it's verses 4 to 42. <laughs> a fair, fair long time. Okay. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. And just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? And then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. 
And then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say, four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you'd speak to us now from your word, that your spirit would really lead us into your truth in every way in our lives. Lord, make us open to you, and we pray that you would really bless us now. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Thank you, Lynn, for that meaty reading but wasn't it lovely to just sit and listen to Jesus speaking and and get the context of it and think you know where where do we go from here uh, in our series our Lent series we've had two talks so far this is the third we've had Barbara Stanton on giving up our control Tom on giving up our expectations which was a, an odd one for his first one but there we are we survived and so did he and today a funny one I thought at first giving up our superiority Superiority is not a word we often come across, other than perhaps in sports reports or maybe in military updates, sadly. I was surprised, therefore, to find a lot of people had actually written and spoken about this theme of looking down on others, of having superior attitudes, of thinking unpleasant things of others when really we should be more aware of what we ourselves are like. Uh, for example, this is from me, I've made this up, but it could well be something you would say too. I don't have any superior attitudes towards others. In fact, I am one of the humblest people I know. <laughs> it, this is something we can all fall into uh, and we've got to watch out. This sort of quote, these kind of sayings illustrate the often hidden nature of our condescending attitudes towards others. Not in everything. I've looked at the music for today and I don't understand a thing at all. Uh, I feel completely inferior to the musicians and quite rightly so. Uh, so that may fool us in thinking, oh, well, we're generally humble. But actually there are bits of our lives where we are thinking far too much of ourselves and not correctly about each other and others. We're all sinners and we should take care not to judge others. We can have very big planks in our own eyes that prevent us from seeing the reality of our own spiritual condition. And today, we're going to hopefully begin to see each other with the loving eyes of Jesus, seeing our potential 
with his love at work in our lives rather than the nitpicking stuff which it's so easy to do as we're all pretty fallible aren't we so this morning is a bit of a health check for each one of us where do I stand now in my attitudes towards each other and to Jesus I'm going to start in a sort of non-spiritual way this is how I got into this topic by looking at what people have said over many years about superiority I found loads of quotes. It was, it was um, tricky to cut them down to as many as I've got. I'm just going to throw them at you because they give certain insights of human wisdom into this uh, really negative thing of superiority and looking down on others. First one, there are two kinds of pride, both good and bad. Good pride represents our dignity and self-respect. Bad pride is the deadly sin of superiority that reeks of conceit and arrogance that was John Maxwell a United States pastor another one intolerance is the most socially acceptable form of egotism for it permits us to assume superiority without personal boasting that's uh, Sidney Harris a United States journalist they're not all United States people so you'll, you'll be all right eventually Here's a, a rather long-standing one from one of the very first feminists and philosophers, Mary Wollstonecraft, going back, I think, beginnings of the 19th century. And uh, there's a bit of a gender thing going on here. Women are systematically degraded by receiving the trivial attentions which men think it manly to pay to the sex, when in fact men are insultingly supporting their own superiority. She really was a feminist. Another one on uh, the gender issue from a French philosopher, Simone de Beauvoir. Society being codified by man decrees that woman is inferior. She can do away with this inferiority only by destroying the male's superiority. And the one I like best, the third one on gender. I think women are foolish to pretend they are equal to men. They are far superior and always have been. William Golding, Lord of the Flies. Well done, William. St. Bernard of Clairvaux. Uh, this is going back to the 11th century. A man who prides himself on being better than his fellow men thinks it a disgrace if he does not do something more than they do, whereby his superiority may be apparent. I think that shows a bit of insight. Now, the next one is my favourite because it's just so appalling. I don't agree with this. The day is not far distant when three stars and stripes at three equidistant points will mark our territory. One at the North Pole, another at the Panama Canal, and the third at the South Pole. The whole hemisphere will be ours, in fact, as by virtue of our superiority of race, it already is ours morally. That was William Taft, the 27th President of the United States, in 1909-1913, he was later the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. So if you're looking for superior attitudes, colonial-type attitudes, well, there you are. There's just four more quick ones. This is from Dr. Alfred Adler, uh, an Austrian psychotherapist. A simple rule in dealing with those who are hard to get along with is to remember that this person is striving to assert his superiority, and you must deal with him from that point of view. 
The next one, a US author, radio host, thinking about the sins of others gives us a feeling of moral superiority. But thinking about our own sins is a humbling experience, which is generally much less fun. Uh, a great um, Canadian doctor philanthropist, Sir William Osler, perhaps no sin so easily besets us as a sense of self-satisfied superiority to others. And finally, because I've hammered you with all these human wisdom type quotes, there are a lot of people who are doing wonderful things, quietly, with no motive of greed or hostility towards other people or delusions of superiority. That is actually the best one. And a lot of people like that in this church. That's Charles Kuralt, who I'd never heard of before. Again, somebody from the United States, a broadcaster. Now, what we've seen there are that prejudices and feelings of pride and being better than others and looking down and looking askance at others can come in several ways in several aspects of our lives, maybe without us realising it. We can look at status, we can look at our education, church life, wealth, power, gender, age, race, patriotism, glory hunting, popularity, all sorts of ways in which the devil can give us the wrong attitude of superiority towards others, quite unfounded superiority. Our prejudices in these areas are dangerous because they're often unidentified, unacknowledged and therefore not dealt with in our lives by God. We've got to see what's wrong to bring them to the Lord to deal with. And in the church, quite clearly, our witness is going to be completely ruined if we are harbouring these kind of sinful attitudes. So we do need to take care. If any human being had a right to feel superior and you know what I'm going to say now, and to look down upon the sinners he came across every day, it was Jesus Christ. But as we saw in that lovely story of Jesus with the Samaritan woman, he didn't behave that way. He was the son of God, co-creator of the universe, but he never fell into the traps of ambition, pride and prejudice. As we had in an earlier Lent course, he was truly lowly, humble, and gentle of heart. And he showed that in the lovely, kindly way he dealt with this Samaritan woman. So brainy quotes, human wisdom can take us so far. They can reveal how we tend to big ourselves up and unfairly disparage others, or even think disparagingly. That is sinful, even if it doesn't actually appear from our mouths. However, human wisdom only ever takes us so far. It helps us to identify a problem. It doesn't help us to have it dealt with. No. This morning we need to look to Jesus. We need to look at that story of the way he treated the Samaritan woman. We need to seek his wisdom, his example and his help. His whole life was one of sacrifice, obedience and of service. So we're going to look first uh, from uh, our passage today and elsewhere in the New Testament very quickly at the teachings of Jesus on this whole theme of superiority. Here we go. 
The pushy mother of James and John, Mrs. Zebedee, or the wife of Zebedee, uh, came up to Jesus one day and asked that he would give a, a special place to James and John, her sons, best seats in heaven, the best seats in the kingdom, a real pushy mother. And Jesus replied, it gave him an opening, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There's Jesus really showing how revolutionary and how different his whole approach to life is. And then another one from Jesus, a comment about judgment and judging others. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. We need to take care about how quickly we can turn to judging others. And that is quite destructive and probably very unrealistic about our own actual perceived superiority. Finally, in terms of these quotes from the New Testament, uh, another one, the first two, Matthew and Luke, so they're gospel-based. This one is from Hebrews chapter 4. And it's about the Bible. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates enough to dividing souls and spirit, joints and marrow. But here's the crunch bit for us today. This is the word of God. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And I believe that's what the story of Jesus dealing with the Samaritan woman helps us to see. It goes on. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. He knows. No point hiding. He knows. If we've got superior attitudes, he could list them for each one of us. We need to take the Bible's teaching very seriously. And we do need to turn away today and in the coming days from any unexpected superior attitudes that we're suddenly becoming aware of in our lives they all need to go let's look at Jesus's behavior and see how this helps us <clears throat> in our long reading this morning we saw how forgivingly Jesus behaved compared to the religious leaders of the time and also compared to his disciples who were quite quick to judge and also, of course, compared to us. Jesus' treatment of the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well reveals his godly love towards all those who were looked down upon and shunned. Jesus often broke the social conventions, the expectations of his time, the human rules created by the religious leaders. It would actually have been viewed as disgraceful <clears throat> for Jesus to be talking to a, a woman at the well, having a chat, any woman in public, that was not the done thing. It was disrespectful and, and um, disreputable. Even worse, she was a local woman from Samaria, 
And everybody knew the Samaritans were inferior, didn't they? And he knew all about her, her shambolic and immoral personal life and her poor reputation in her town. And yet, how gently he dealt with her. More and more I've seen this with Jesus, with women and with children. He was absolutely lovely and an example to us all in the way he treated those who over history have not been treated as they should be. But he didn't simply share God's truth in a kindly way with her. He didn't just do that. He did something else which was really, really special, which gave her an honour that nobody else would have. He was the, uh, sorry, she was the very first person who Jesus shared with specifically that he was the Messiah. He saw somebody open to that truth. She was looking for the Messiah to come and Jesus specifically told her, I am he. Wow. He didn't share it with the chief rabbi or anybody important, but with this woman who had lived an immoral life. And actually, Jesus didn't come back to this topic again until his trial before Calvary. So this woman was particularly special and blessed, and he treated her in this amazing way. And the impact that she had on her town, having met with Jesus, many Samaritans from that town, Sychar, believed in him because of the woman's testimony. As a result, the locals, the Samaritans, asked Jesus to stay with them for two extra days. He was clearly onto a winner. God was really doing something special in this place. And because of his words, many more became believers. It's a lovely story, really lovely in so many ways. So what are we going to do about this, this challenge about superior attitudes? Well, Tom and Emily have shared with us uh, last week and I think at other times talking to us individually that they've had a really warm welcome here which is great I have always said I said this to I think Catherine Luff before uh, Matt came here as our previous vicar I've always said that St John's is full of lovely people generous and good people I'm not hammering you particularly today at all it's because because God loves us that we have to hear his truth nonetheless we are all each one of us and we all know it sinners we're all full of failings and we fail to treat others as Jesus did that's what today's message is really about acknowledging where we are and allowing God to put it right in our lives are we ready to repent and to seek God's forgiveness when we let him down if we are what do we need to do right now and in the coming days to give up our feelings of superiority right three things this is a church of england so there will be three things firstly we're nearly at the end firstly we need to consider those aspects of our lives in which we have become without realizing it perhaps prejudiced judgmental competitive smug even you even me and even condescending 
Have our inflated opinions of ourselves made us unloving and unkind to each other, but also very, very bad to others, those who we should be showing the love of God to? We need all of us to watch out for any aspects of our lives in which we have an overconfidence based uh, upon our view of ourselves and a lack of genuine humility towards others. And we need to watch out about those attitudes reasserting themselves from time to time in our dealings with others. Very different to the way Jesus gently but firmly spoke chattered to that woman at the well. So what is the answer to all this? Well, strangely, or maybe not, um, what I plan to do at the end is exactly what Tom had thought he should probably share. So between us, um, we've been thinking on the same lines. Where is the thing that is most helpful to us to get this right? Apart from just coming to God uh, in a contract way and asking him to sort us out and clean us up. Let's have a quick look at a few key verses in Philippians chapter 2. It's a well-known passage. It was one that we went through a while back when we looked at Philippians. It's mainly about the absolute humility of Jesus. Philippians 2. It's poor writing. And he's actually very positive towards the Philippians. They're doing well. And in this passage, he's saying, have the same attitude as Jesus who did not grab at the fact that he was the son of God and the creator of the universe. He came humbly. And it's these few verses that give us the answer. This is what we should be looking to be and to do and ask God to help us get right in our lives. This is what he's saying to St. John's today, I believe, and to all churches everywhere when people are getting too big for their boots or being careless with each other. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, being united in the way we behave. Having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Value others above ourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. <coughs> In our relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Behave in a similar way to the way Jesus behaved to the woman of Samaria at Jacob's well. Um, I don't know whether it's theologically sound, but I don't like the word mindset. I prefer my older version of the New International Version, which says have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. This is all about attitudes based on who Jesus is and who we are supposed to be. So let's just pause, be still and quiet for a moment and recommit ourselves to him just to make sure that we truly become the, the humble people who, like Jesus, look towards others with kindness, with gentleness, and with God's love. And if we've identified even only one aspect of our lives where we need to change, let's just commit that to the Lord now in the quiet.
And let's remember, Jesus is, is more than just an example, but this is what he was like, as we see in Philippians. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. From that humility of chatting to the Samaritan woman, Jesus is now exalted to his rightful place. And we just need to make sure that we are in line with what he expects of us and ask the Holy Spirit to change us where change is needed. Amen.